Join me, David Seaman, every week on my podcast, Seaman Says, as we react to all the weekend's football action from the Premier League and beyond. Plus, I'm joined by former teammates, legends of the game and famous friends to discuss football and more. Jack Grealish turned up a bit later and he was like, uh, I was hoping you'd get me up to do She's the One. I really like She's the One. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great present. He turned up late. I can't believe he turned up late for you. Listen to the latest episode of Seaman Says on your favourite podcast platform. She loves herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. Welcome back to another episode of She Loves Herself, the podcast. We are getting near to the end of the season, this very special grief season, and what a beautiful season it has been. Um, I, Before we go into my next guest, I just want to remind you that the doors are still open for enrolments for... The Empowered Woman, Authentic Success. This is my beautiful, beautiful coaching program that I created 18 months ago. I've taken a number of women through it. This is the ultimate for meet yourself, love yourself, heal yourself, manifest so much of what you want to manifest that is in true alignment and integrity and authenticity with your deepest desires. I will show you how to build solid foundations. You will work through various different teachings and lessons each week. You will be coached each week by me and then we will have a beautiful in-person event at the end. Spaces are very limited. I only take a small number of women through this so that there is a safe and sacred space for you to really transform and um, be coached. So I'm going to drop the link in the show notes. Don't hold back. You can book in your free 30-minute discovery call. I cannot wait to connect with you and find out if this is, you know, if this is the right the right program for you. Okay, let me tell you about my next guest. Wow. Dr. Sarah Kerr, PhD. Oh my goodness. Sarah Kerr and I had the most amazing conversation, which you're going to hear very soon. Um, Sarah is the founder of the Centre for Sacred Death Care. Sarah is a teacher and a mentor to death doulas and others who are called to offer spiritual support at end of life. And she works and helps dying people and their families connect to each other um, with this innate wisdom of the dying process. Sarah's teachings validate her students' intuitive knowing about death and dead people, and she guides people to meet mortality in ways that more healing and more whole and more holy she is an epic human being i am dropping all of her links in the show notes because i know that you guys are going to really want to connect with her and she has another program that she is offering very soon and for you people who are so deeply connected to your pets this one is definitely for you but I know that I am definitely going to do some work with her in the future because we don't just talk about death in this episode. We talk about so much more than that. Um, It was an honour to have her on. Guys, enjoy this episode. Have a fantastic weekend and I will see you all next week. She loves herself with Jill Ritchie. So welcome to She Loves Herself, Navigating Grief Season, Sarah Kerr. 
Thanks very much. It's lovely to be here. It's so lovely to have you here. I was actually just sharing with people earlier on on social media that I was speaking to a death doula and the amount of people that said to me, what is a death doula? And I'm like, actually, it's such a great question. And I only discovered it, you know, in the last sort of five months. So for the listeners, Sarah, tell us, tell us who you are and what a death doula is, please. Well, my name's Sarah Kerr, and I'm the founder of an organization called the Center for Sacred Death Care. So we're looking at illness, death, and transformative loss, and how we can meet those experiences in our lives with more grace and confidence and and grow and learn from them rather than being broken by them, which can sometimes happen. So I'm a death doula. I've been in practice for, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years, something like that. I kind of lose track. Um, and what a death doula is. So that's not actually the clearest question. Right? There's, it's hard to have a clear answer to that question. And there is a growing movement. Some people talk about it as the death positivity movement. This growing movement, primarily led by baby boomers, many of whom had their children with midwives back when they had kids. And now they're facing illness or their parents aging in death. And they want to do it in a different way. That want to reclaim death as part of life, as something that we can navigate and and find our way through together. So this whole movement of which death doulas are a part has grown up along this. And I like to think about death doulas as people who are are called to this work, but not necessarily called to participate in a palliative care, medical, social work, OT line of work. The other way you can be involved in supporting death is in the funeral industry or maybe through the clergy. So if you have a natural propensity to be with dying people, to have that skill, there's not really anywhere else to bring it. Many yeah. of my students, and I do a lot of training, many of my students have been teased and mocked by their friends. Oh, you're the spooky one. Oh, you always want to talk about death. They often have a real sensitivity to the other worlds. And dead people aren't so far away and they have dreams or they have visitations or they have some maybe mediumistic skills or maybe not, not necessarily, but there, there's something in who they are that's drawn to support illness, death and loss. And there hasn't really been a way to do that. So this movement is growing up and death doulas are non-medical lay people who support people from death and dying through death and after death. The medical system stops at death, and then there's this gap, and then the funeral industry kicks in after that, and maybe a clergy, if you're involved with that. But a death doula will start at the beginning, when you know death is coming, or maybe if it's been a sudden death, and walk all the way through. And I actually officiate the funeral as well, so take people through the whole process. I often call myself clergy for the unchurched. <laughs> when people want to meet it in a spiritual way, they don't necessarily have a path for that if their spirituality is more nature-based. Mm, I absolutely love that. And I know that might sound really random to people listening, but death is something that every single one of us will face. Yet every single one of us, well, not every single one of us, because you certainly don't, there's, there's definitely groups of people that are okay with it, but in the main, the people around me and who I've been around and who I've grown up with, it was never talked about. And so there's so much 
fear, and I mean terror, from so many people around death, which then spills out to their children, which then spills out to their children. And it's this kind of way that we never talk about it, but loss of the physical um, is something that every one of us will experience, you know? And I feel like if we were better prepared emotionally and physically, well, well, the emotions then create the physical most of the time anyway, but if we were most mostly prepared for it, then do you believe like it wouldn't hurt so much? It wouldn't maybe send so many of us into that real dark, dark place that many people can get into with grief because they either go into that dark place and we don't want to talk, a lot of the time we don't want to talk about it to people because we don't want to burden people with with, with the grief. We don't want to put our grief on other people. So we hold it in. And I see this years, you know, I've had people reach out to me and say, you know, I, my dad died seven years ago and I'm only just dealing with it now. It's hit me now because it, the, it's been suppressed for so long. Do you think that if we actually knew more of this and this was, you know, talked about much more, it wouldn't maybe hurt so much? I think that's really, you've hit the nail on the head. That's it. And I think in that conversation, it's important to be really clear about who we mean when we say we and us, because I'm a white woman living in Canada. All my ancestors are Scottish and Irish, right? So that's my my lineage. And, you know, those of us who have grown up in a, a culture shaped by dominant Northern European attitudes, yeah. right? This that's the we who really doesn't know how to do with death yes. or a one of the we's. Absolutely. There are other cultures and traditions all around the world and living it, our neighbors who have very different cultural approaches and who have ritual practices and family skills and tools for dealing with it. So it really is a, a, a culturally determined dysfunction rather than a universal human dysfunction. You're so right. And actually, that's my bad because the we is us, the, the uh, you know, our culture. When I was in Bali, they really celebrated death. Like they had parties and this like full ceremony. And, you know, of course they would honour sadness, but it was like, actually, we're this is a celebration. You know, they celebrated that life that existed. So they... They had a culturally, they had an absolutely different approach to it. So there wasn't the same fear. And again, going into, you know, to our society here, it is one of those things like we don't talk about it. It's like we don't talk about it. It's uncomfortable. And even it's funny because I'm talking to you now. Even with the podcast, I find myself when I'm speaking saying, you know, this might not resonate for you right now. It's maybe something that you'll come back to because we avoid anything like this if it's going to make us feel uncomfortable. I am talking about us, like, our, like again, in this culture where we are. It's avoided because it's uncomfortable. We don't learn about it, but it's the thing that's guaranteed to happen. When well, the other thing that's guaranteed to happen is discomfort. Right? Yes. As a dominant Western Northern European culture, we don't have skills for being with discomfort. We're taught to make the make the hard bad things go away, and and stay focused on the positive and the good and the nice and the happy and the light. And there are lots of traditions that have more skills for that. So it's really a process of learning to be present to what's true, 
even if what's true is difficult, because that's a natural part of life. And Buddhism teaches us that, that just being present to what is and not getting too worked up about the story of it, just being present. But you're so right that when we don't have teachings for it, you know, we, we teach sex education in school and we should teach death education. Everybody's going to deal with that. And it's not something that just happens to old people. So when we don't have skills for it, we don't have a, a place to put it in our map of the world. And more importantly, we don't have cultural structures to help us walk through it. Because when someone dies, for those of us who are still here, it's a different story for the person who's died, and we can talk about that too. But for the person who's people who are still here, the rug is pulled out from underneath us. The structures of our lives are reorganized. Our life looked like one thing when that person was here, and suddenly they're gone. And there's this disillusionment, this dismemberment, this, this complete uh, coming undone. And we need we need social structures and ritual practices are really what those look like to help us find our way through until we can get our feet back underneath us again. Mm-hmm. It's a coming undone and a rebuilding, like when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon. Right? They come undone. They're held by the structure of the cocoon. They come out something new. I know. So that's what ritual structures are supposed to do. There you go. Oh, yes butterfly wings that I put up after my mum passed away I felt like I had a bit of that you know chrysalis moment of really taking months of just being present like you said and not forcing anything and just being with all of the emotions god there's so much what you've said that I want to unpack you talk about rituals how would you create like if someone is and the they have a diagnosis, okay, and they're dying. I must be honest, you know, I actually heard some really sad news about someone that I knew who was ages with me and she has a diagnosis and um, she doesn't have long. And I thought, that must be so scary, you know, so scary to, you know, she's a mum, her kids are young. How would, how do you walk with someone in that space? It's a very intuitive process. And it's, there's not a cookbook. I mean, there are some kind of archetypal patterns that happen, but everybody meets it in a different way. Even a mom with young kids, 10 moms with young kids would have 10 different ways of what they're struggling with. The first is really understanding the soul's journey. Like what is happening at a soul level? in that process. And I actually have a series of courses on my website because I teach this to every client I work with. And I thought, I'm just going to put them up so that everybody can have them and they don't have to hear them one-on-one for me. So, Mm -hmm. so talking about what's happening as body and soul separate. Yeah. That's what's happening. So that's, that's one journey. What's that separation of body and soul when, when soul crosses to the other side of the river, however you envision the village of the ancestors, wherever consciousness continues. And what happens after we die? What happens? Um, what are the, there, there's an archetypal architecture. It, you know, the archetypes are like our spiritual DNA, our physical DNA, our physical bodies. We understand how those work and how to meet them. We have a spiritual DNA, a spiritual structure to us. And it goes through some fairly patterns. They're not predictable, but they're similar. And so the first thing I do when I'm working with people like that is really talk to them and see where things are 
stuck? Right? Or what's what's not working? So when someone's dying and we know we're dying or they know they're dying, it's an incredible gift in a way because a sudden death is so difficult. So we have this time. How do we want to use that time to create as much beauty and love as possible? And love flows when the channels are open. So we want that. That's my goal with people is how do we create as much love as possible in this system? But of course, love and grief are two sides of the same ribbon. So creating love also means making space for grief because grief is what we feel when someone we love is dying. That's how we express our love. So I will look at where are things stuck? Where on that energetic map is something not moving? And may often in the beginning, it is something like, the, well, maybe the person hasn't figured it, like there's letting it land. So sometimes you have to help the person land it. They're just in shock. And so there's some ritual work to do and, and spiritual work to do to help them land it. But then what often happens is that they know what's true and they actually can tell they know that this is really happening and it's they don't have long. But their friends and family are in such shock that they can't absorb it. And so the friends and family, and also the friends and family have sort of been told that their job is to be positive and optimistic. They won't actually acknowledge or they can't actually acknowledge that the person is dying. And so the dying person is on this journey. And they're really isolated and alone because no one else will talk about it. Mm. Everyone says, no, 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 you'll be here for Christmas. Don't worry. Or no, no, don't talk about that. Of course, you'll be here for this or that. And the dying person says, you know what? I might not be. And so if you can't handle this, then my journey is even more difficult because I have to look after you. I have emotions I need to move, but you can't handle it. And so I can't talk about my emotions with you. And I have to look after you. So one of the things I first often do is a family or a community ritual, a healing circle gathering, call it whatever people mm. want, where we actually get everybody together. And it might be the person and their sometimes closest 10 or 15 people, family members, dear friends, and just talk about it and put it on the table. And because I can have these conversations without cringing or dancing around or speaking in euphemisms it opens space for other people to be able to mm. and i explain what the dying person is often going through which is that they feel alone and abandoned and they're doing something really hard and they need their friends and family with them so mm. the the intention of that ritual is often get everybody up to speed because we need to look at this together we can't all be in denial because the person we love needs our help We've yeah. got to come to terms with it. So that that might be the first one. There's there's a whole library or, or menu of possibilities. Oh, that's. I'm going to drop the link in the show notes for those if you don't mind, because I think yes. that you know, and obviously all of your links to connect with you too, and because it's probably something that people don't think about. Like when you said a ritual, when I think of circles, I think of you know, sister circles, ceremonies healing but I never think of it as in a, like a circle for you know to connect with death I think people are so scared that they're going to cry that they never stop like I just relating it back to my own personal experience I guess we really never accepted it with my mom at the start like my mom actually fought cancer for 19 years and I do believe there was huge elements of her willingness to be here on this earth like 
she was not ready to go. Like, I remember her oncologist saying to me, like, if she said, I can never call it with you, mum, I've had her gone so many times. And there she is, away on holiday again. And, you know, she said she's phenomenal. She said, 26 years I've been an oncologist. I have never met someone like your mum. She And even up until the end, and it was so sad at the end, though, Sarah, because her default setting at that point was fighting. And I believe her her body was given everything, her soul. Like when I, I shared about the soul work that I did, when my soul went in to connect with her soul, there was this like, so I was so emotional. I was in tears with it. But the message I got back, like this is like, she wouldn't, she didn't want to, she was still holding on. Like her soul was like, yeah, whenever you're ready, we're here. But her her humanness, this ego, this, this fight was so, so hardwired. It's like, I ain't going, I'm not... And do you know what? I remember her telling me, I'm terrified to death. She was so scared. And I I didn't know a lot about death. And it's, I think it's easier to talk to other people. Sometimes when it's your closest people, it's harder. I would try and say to her, I remember just a few days before she died and she was not, you know, she was not good, but she was just not giving in. And I was holding her hand and I said to her, like, you know, mum, like, it's going to be okay. Like, you're not alone. And she's like, she even then she was scared that like no one was going to be there to meet her. And I knew like my gran would be there and my papa. Like she's so loved. But this fear kept her in this shell of a body with a life that she she deserved better than that, but she wouldn't give in. So she had to endure this real shit, real shit, ex- shit existence for a good 18 months, two years that wasn't quality for her because she wouldn't, she wouldn't surrender. She wouldn't give in. And that was hard. And I think what I want, what I guess what I'm getting at is she, her fight served her so well for so many years. It was only laterally that the fight was like, no, you know? And so I think there's fear for people to sit in a circle and say, right, let's accept death here in case, because we do hear of people, right, that get a diagnosis and then within weeks they're gone because they've just went, right, that's that, I'm gone. I'm accepting it and I'm gone. And then you get other people that fight it and they have a great quality of life for years. I don't know how exactly that works, but I do believe there, there has to be something surely around someone's spirit to go, no, I'm not going to give in. So perhaps that's maybe why people are scared to see her yet like that's it now. <laughs> Do you know? I, I want to interrupt here because I don't want to leave the impression that, I mean, our attitude makes a difference, but there are people who have every single clear, true, pure desire to live and are doing everything they can and want to live. And sometimes they still die in a matter of Yeah, of course. So our attitude makes a difference, but we cannot, we cannot control yeah. what's happening to the body. Right. So, yeah. so there is there is something that we can do that can maybe support us moving one way or another, but we can't change that pattern. You can't cheat death almost. Do you believe that goes back to the soul journey? Hang on for a second. Sorry, there's just a huge truck outside my door. I don't know. Can you can you hear that noise? No. Okay. All right. Okay, so. Can't hear the thing. We can continue. That's okay. okay. 
Listen, don't worry, we have dogs barking in episodes yeah. and doorbells ringing. We're keeping yeah. it real here. Um, yeah, do you believe that goes back to then the soul's journey? That's uh, like the soul's Yes, path? I mean, some people's, some people's destiny and fate is to live longer and some people's is to live shorter. And some people's is to die quickly and some people's is to die slowly. Yeah. You know, slowly meaning it, to, to live for a long time with an illness, perhaps. You know? And, yeah. you know, I was really moved by what you said about your mom and about her fear. Mm-hmm. And that breaks my heart because it's really, in my experience, a huge lack of education. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there are people are often afraid of death. And if they don't have someone to talk to, uh, some kind of spiritual director, a clergy person, someone like me, they just have this big amorphous terror. It's a big blob and it doesn't have any distinction. It's just terrifying. And I work with a lot of people who are afraid of death. And it's really interesting to actually go into it. Say, what, what are you afraid of? And sometimes when people peel it back, they don't. Sometimes it's like, well, there's, I don't even know what I'm afraid of. I just, everybody's afraid of death. So I am too. But when you look at it, there's nothing. Actually, what is it? Well, dying can be difficult and palliative care serves that. But death is different. You know, Ram Das, beautiful teacher in this world, says death is perfectly safe. Mm-hmm. That once we leave our bodies, he also says dying is like taking off a too tight shoe. So it's a it's a release. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your mom sounds like was worried that there wouldn't be people to meet her. Sometimes people are worried. I worked with a man who um, felt that he hadn't, he really felt that he'd failed in his life. It wasn't the case. He had many, many things to be proud of, but he was terrified to meet his father because he thought his father would disapprove. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are afraid to meet their abusers. They don't want to leave because the abuser's on the other side. So that's those are there's a there's a oh, real dynamic so real, isn't it? and it's a real thing right when you think about that i my mom also said she was scared that she wouldn't get to heaven i was like laughing like my mom was amazing she's like yeah but you know what if there's one thing that i did when i was 15 or whatever you know, all the stuff must go through your mind like well what if what if is like it's hell and it yeah. how do you how do you talk someone to, to someone about that then when they're coming at you with that 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 fear, how do you put them at ease? Well, a big part of what I do is teach them what's in those courses. This this larger map of in Western culture, we tend to think of life as linear. Like we pop into existence, we live our lives in a straight line, and we pop out of existence. There's nothing before, nothing after. We're just this straight line floating in yeah. I don't know what the ethers or something, but. Nothing in nature is a straight line. Everything starts small, it grows, it blossoms, it dies. There's a decomposition, there's a darkness, there's an incubation period and something new is born. Mm -hmm. So I offer people a um, spiritual map that involves reincarnation. It says, okay, what if we came into this world, into this body to learn things in this lifetime, then we're going to go out again. And then at some point, we're going to come back in again. And what does that journey look like? So when we zoom back, and instead of seeing our lives as these little straight lines that are disconnected from anything, that start and stop, and the problem with that straight line image is that when we're done, when we die, 
we don't go anywhere. We, we, we vaporize, we cease to exist, and we're disconnected from community. And humans need to be connected. We need to know where we are and who yeah. we are. So when we, see this map, yeah, mm-hmm. when we see this map that says, okay, actually you came in, so learn some lessons and you're going to go out. And this is what that journey looks like. They start to understand that there's a bigger picture and to see where it's happening. And this is really useful for the dying person. This is also useful for the friends and family especially if there's been a really difficult death, if there's been a suicide or an overdose. What does that journey look like? And how do we hold that in the frame of this part of a larger soul's evolutionary journey? So it's a huge part of it is just teaching them the maps and understanding where they are on the map and giving them a framework to hold it. Because in Western culture, we just, we don't have the shelves in the books, the bookshelves in our head to put that information in. But once we get it, there's this kind of aha, and people all the time say, oh, you've given me words for what I sort of knew, but I didn't have any way to explain or describe. So that uh, map is a huge process. And once we understand the map, then we can do the rituals that help us move through that map. You're amazing. I'm just like, wow, this is so amazing and so needed because if we did understand the bigger picture, like you said, zooming out and looking in in a different perspective, understanding that this isn't just it. There is so much more than this. Opening and expanding our consciousness to what what actually what's actually there, you will fear it less and understand like and again, what I love about what you said and what, what came up was it would probably allow people on the process or to understand it before it gets to that stage to live life fully. You know, so much of the time, and I guess you'll see this many times too, people that have regrets, you know, when they're on their deathbed, I wish I'd done it differently. I wish I didn't care about that thing or I wish I had the courage to to do that thing and follow my intuition and trust myself more and be less attached to what people thought of me is that a thing that again do you see that quite a bit yeah yeah and there there are some things you can't change at that point there are some you can bring resolution to sometimes if those regrets um are about how people have treated other people, then there are ways to make amends and facilitate forgiveness or apologies. Sometimes that's what needs to happen. There's a kind of cleaning up the the unfinished business. Sometimes that. So if it involves someone else, then there can often be work done around that, whether or not the other person is able or willing to be part of it. It can still happen spiritually for the person. Who absolutely. Dying. I absolutely can can resonate with that so much. Um, great if you can get together, but if you can't, there's so much work that you can still do on releasing that and holding that space for yourself and um, those emotions. Um, And I actually shared another episode. I remember when my dad died a few years ago and we didn't really have a relationship with him. Um, And he had a lot of regrets and he was on his deathbed and he'd asked to see my sister and I. um, And it was weird to go and see him, but there was just a knowing that we had to do it, you know, for for all of us. Because then we might have regrets that we wish we'd went and whatever, you know. 
But then we went and he got to see what he wanted to see. And we literally left the room and he passed away that night. And he needed that. I feel like he just needed that to go. You know, it'll have gone anyway, regardless. But it gave him that space just to almost exhale. <laughs> just like, right. Because we said to him, you know, it's okay. Like, go in peace. Because everything happened exactly the way it was supposed to. I want to talk to you because you, you're you very much, I, I feel like you're on my wavelength with certain things that you're seeing and um, around like like the forgiveness part and and the moving through and someone I'd love to just ask you about is when you said about moving through and coming back and again you know reincarnation and so on do you what were your thoughts on like learning lessons and karma and things like that do you ever broach that subject with people around that as well yeah Yes, the understanding. I just can't let that go, though. I just, I'm, I'm so moved by the story of what happened to your dad. Okay, what, what a beautiful gift that yeah. was. And, and what I'm curious is how it landed for you. It landed well, and I'm, I'm so glad I did it. It was interesting because we, we, our first thing was we won't go because we don't want to be disloyal to my mum because he wasn't very nice, you know, but. What I've really understood during my time and my years in, in practicing and, and doing the work that I've done is that he had his lessons to learn and understanding childhoods can have a huge impact on how we grow up and it doesn't make it right. I'm not saying, oh, well, that was okay. But I also understand about karma and about lessons that about a soul's path. And uh, I've just... I'm so glad I went because it allowed, it was almost like a, not even, it's not even a closing of a chapter. It just almost was like a turning of a page. You know, it was more gentle and it was like, I might see him again in another lifetime. We might have something in another lifetime. I, I believe that. Um, yeah, so that I guess yes. that's why I wanted to sort of, I think like there's a lot around lessons and soul contracts and, you know, and this might be a bit like people are listening, thinking, what are you talking about? But open, oh, please open your minds to this because this will, I believe, help so many people when we understand that we take the blinkers off. We just, just open our minds a tiny bit to thinking, is there more you know, what is this? Get curious because it's opened me up to receive things differently, to view things differently. The non-attachment piece around thinking I'm responsible or, well, he's mine. That belongs to me. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm 43 next month. I'd say like for 36 years in my life, I was the other way. I was like, yeah, I'm a human. I am this, this is me, this is my characteristics and this is how I'm showing up. And it's, you know, it's only been like, I guess a small, well, you know, not that many years that I've been doing this work, but it's changed my life. It's changed my life. And what you're saying, it just, I feel when you're talking, it feels so gentle and safe and like a... Mm, in my body you know in my physical body I'm like yeah this is good this feels nice <laughs> yeah 
Well, you know, and and I'll join you in speaking to people who this may be a little outside of their realms, that my invitation to people is to um, to treat this as an evidence-based tradition. You know, this, I talked about this as evidence-based work. And the evidence, it's a different way of evaluating. The evidence is how does it land for you? Does it work for you? Does it bring you peace? Because we don't know. I mean, when it really comes down to it, none of us, well, I'm just going to say none of us died. Lots of us die and come back. Near-death experiences teach us something. And that's this, those experiences um, support these soul maps that I'm working with. But that to say nothing happens, you can't prove that. So it might be worth saying something happens and seeing what happens if we say something happens. And we don't, in my experience in dominant culture, have many other good ways to describe what's happening at a soul level other than these maps. That, yeah, there are some lessons. You, know, you talk about lessons. I kind of stay away from karma as a concept because I think it's such a sophisticated, complex karm- concept mm-hmm. in those traditions. And we throw it around here a little bit loosely, I think. But the idea that we're coming to learn lessons and the understanding in this this picture is that when we're out of a body, we we make a decision about what what our life is going to be here. We come in with some lessons to learn. We want to learn what it's like to live a long life or to die in childbirth or to be healthy or sick or tall or short or a victim or a perpetrator. And the goal is for each of us, the evolution of our own individual consciousness, as much as there is individual, it's a little bit of a frame, but to hold that. And that we're contributing to the evolution of the larger consciousness. So it's not that we were a perpetrator, so we come back in and we get some punishment for that. It's more like we have to learn the whole scope. And we have to try it all and try this one and try this one. And this time, oh, well, I came in to learn what it was to live a really, really hard life. And maybe it was to die by suicide. Maybe that was the learning or it was such a hard life that I fell off the horse and I left and I might come back in and learn some of these lessons again, but that's okay. We fall off and we get back on again. So the idea of lessons and also the idea that we are, as you've mentioned, traveling with a kind of core of soul. Some people call it a soul family. I like to think of it as a theater performance. There's the stage and there's backstage. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, when we die, we go backstage and we meet all these other people and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was the mom in that life and you were the daughter. Oh, yeah. And then we we spend our time backstage. And then when we're born, we come out again into view. And this time you'll be the dad and I'll be the girlfriend or whatever the stories are. We put on these different um, roles because we can learn something, but we're doing it with the same cast of characters. Wow, it's absolutely mind-blowing, isn't it? Like when you open yourself up to hearing what something different, you know, something different other than and I and there'll be people that will be so interested in that, and there'll be people that are terrified of it. I'll just stay in my space. And that's cool. You know, that's cool. Um, but for me, I I love I love the parts that you I love all parts that you're sharing today, but the ones around being with someone as they're, you know, crossing over and 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 inviting that 
into people that are maybe, you know, going through something like that right now to, to, yeah, just, I guess, to hold each other, you know, to understand that. And I guess as well, anger is okay, right? Mm-hmm. You're angry, don't express it, feel the emotion. Um, I think that's a big thing as well, that a lot of people, you know, have, especially ones that have written into me and said, you know, that they died and I, I feel like now I have these regrets and I want to, like, how, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I deal with, with having regret now? Um, you know, I, I give an answer, um, my, my sort of perspective on it. And then I'd love to hear yours is that the person that's passed away isn't, you know, they're not looking for that. <laughs> you know, they're not saying, oh, well, by the way, I'm still waiting on, you know, I'm going to haunt you now because, <laughs> because you did this thing. Or, you know, I believe when someone passes, they don't have that human Again, you might have something different on it, but I like to believe that they don't have the humanness of, you know, the ego and the anger and and whatever that looks like. That even with illness, with cancer, things like that, that hopefully all of that dissipates when they pass and they're just moving to, you know, spirit. They're not carrying the weight of the humanness with them anymore. And they're certainly, certainly not looking for perhaps forgiveness from another person maybe what do you think it's a huge I mean you're just really landing on a really big question let me see how I can describe this so as a human living in a body I can um be and act out of my core true divine patient peaceful you know I can be my best self and I know those moments when I am and I'm just in line and I'm really attuned and I, I'm, I'm showing up as my truest self. And I can show up in lots of other ways, right? As can all of us. So we have a whole spectrum. I mean, we can show up, you know, operating out of our wounds and out of our ego and out of, I mean, it's usually out of our wounds. What's happened to us has yeah. caused us yeah. to not have the skills to be able to be in that moment, that present yeah. divine space all the time, divine, or, you know, our soul center. Um, and there's a way that our ancestors and the dead are kind of the same. Okay. That they, here, here, our personality, ego, biography runs our show a little more. There it runs our show a little less, but it's also there. And so when we connect with our ancestors, we can connect with them and ask them to really align with their truth and light and love part of them, which all of us have, even the worst behaving person on this side of the veil has a true love light part of them. And they can act out of that. Mm -hmm. So we can ask them to align with that. And that's mostly where they are. So when we connect with them, they're they're not looking back at us. I don't think in, as you say, with with that uh, resentment. But there's also a way we can do ancestral healing work and I facilitate something called family constellations. And this is a way that we do that where we, and there's lots of different kinds of ancestral healing work where we actually go back and connect with the parts of them that were wounded and do it carefully mm-hmm. and do it in a way to support them. Yeah. And so sometimes we do need that opportunity to, to say, I'm sorry to an ancestor. Mm-hmm. There is a part mm-hmm. of them that can receive that and that is served by that 
even though there's also a part of them that's completely at peace and isn't bothered by that in the slightest. Yeah, this all makes so much sense because a few years ago, when I did some ancestral work, there was a lot around the women and the relationships they had with men. And so when I went in, it was four years ago, then I did it again three years, maybe two years ago. So this all makes sense. And actually, it's nice to think that when people pass over, there's none of that. But I, but, it, but there must be, actually, because when I did the ancestral work, there was so much pain, actually, from the women in the line around men and sadness. And I, I believe, we're going off on another one here, but I believe that I'm here to change a lot of that. And to change that and to heal through that and to change the the trajectory for that line. So that is so interesting. So and I love that you do the ancestral work too. And I know that people will be listening to this like, right, that's it, I'm in. <laughs> I'm going I'm to have to get in touch with Sarah. Because I think as well that we can, we can carry out so much. And, um, and sometimes it's not ours. You know, sometimes we're showing up, we're like, what, what is this? You know, is this, is this, is this mine? Mm-hmm. And actually that was happening for me. You know, I went into a real deep space and I remember like the, the coach that took me through it, she's, she was epic and she said, I'm getting this message, like this real, like fucking, like you hate men. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't hate men. I don't. I like, she's like, look, I'm not saying it's yours, but this is really coming through strong. And I did work over like the last few years. And it was like, gone way back generations of women that really struggled with, you know, unkind men. So, mm, yeah, it's the thing. Yeah. And, and we carry, if we, you know, we talked about taking a larger view, zooming back and seeing our lives coming into and out of bodies. But there's also a way we can zoom back and see ourselves as larger than just, you know, the edges of our skin and the straight line of when we pop into existence and out of existence, you pop into life. That we are, we have individual bodies and individual selves, but we're also part of a collective body and we have a collective self. And there are different levels of that. And one is our family. We have a family soul that we're part of and we're part of that family system. And so, when something is wrong in this part of the family system, it can show up in this part, right? If there was an injury or a wound or a, um, a rejection in one person somewhere, maybe up the line a couple of generations, it's like a mobile. You tug over here, it, it'll move over here. That can show up because we're trying to heal it, right? The, the, the understanding is that when a trauma happens in one generation, if it's too big for that generation to, to manage or that person or they don't have the support to manage it, or it can't be resolved, then it it continues showing up in the system until it can get resolved. So we carry these things out of a loyalty sometimes to those above us in the line. And we can give it back to them or resolve it on their behalf. Well, we can't really resolve it on their behalf, but we can give it back to them and we can separate ourselves from it. And we can support the healing that might happen up above the line. So it changes the whole system. We're not individuals. We're part of a system. Oh, I love that. And it makes so much sense because also then as the human version of who we are now, even though it's come from another generation, we take on behaviours based on that. So it's about then saying, right, okay, now how do I 
do my own healing because I've now been this certain way based on my belief system about something that actually wasn't maybe even mine. So it's like there's lots of unpicking to do. It's so incredible, all of this and how it all joins together. Um, I could literally talk to you all day. I feel like there is so much that you have said that is so enlightening and helpful and resourceful. Um, how can people connect with you? Like, can you tell us, are you working on anything just now? Is How can people work with you? So I am on all the, you know, all the standard social media worlds. Sacred Death Care is the handle. Um, just joined TikTok and had a kind of fun viral video pop up there <laughs> about saying goodbye when someone dies. How do you say goodbye? So um, all, I'm on all the places. And, and the website is sacreddeathcare.com. I do one-on-one -on -one work with people. So if people are struggling with something in their life, it, sometimes it's a death from 30 years ago that wasn't resolved. I work a lot with people navigating abortion or miscarriage. Right now, I'm working on a project about pet death, about mm -hmm. how we support our pets at a soul level and how we support the humans in the system. Often kids are part of it. How do we navigate pet death in a soul-based way? So I'm just about to put out a course about that. Uh, I have these standing courses on my site, which are kind of resources, and they're video-based things. You can tune in, download them, and watch the process. And there's the lecture part of it, and then there's also a lot of Q&A with other people. And so that's a really fun part. There's a lot of connecting with other people. I think the biggest thing that happens in my courses is people go, oh, I'm not alone. There are other people who see the world this way. And I'm not weird, I'm not strange, I'm not wrong. I'm just living in a culture that doesn't understand or appreciate or support or give me the tools. So I work with people who are struggling with death and illness and loss and also people who want to learn how to help others. So it's all available on my website and I have a scheduling link. You could book a session. I love this and I'm going to draw all of the, the, the links and the show notes of, of this episode. Um, I should have asked you this at the start, but it's just popped up. Like, what, what got you into this line of work? That's a long answer, but um, <laughs> I've always been one of those people who's super sensitive to energies and to what's felt but not necessarily seen yeah. and uh, it took me a long time and a lot of training and a lot of personal work to understand that and to learn how to work with it as opposed to being you know, in some ways ashamed or embarrassed of it because it meant that there are things I can't do because I'm so sensitive but there are things I can do because I'm so sensitive and I learned how to do that so that was a big part of it. My dad had a stroke about 11 years ago and lived for several years, but suddenly his death was very present. And so it was working with him through that. And yeah, I've just always been sensitive to the other worlds and dreams and mm, the bigger picture than dominant culture usually deals with. And so it just took me a while to figure out how to how to use that and be of service with those skills instead of, you know, doing what I do in spite of them and trying to gird myself to 
not feel these things because I, I didn't know how to manage it. So actually, another course on my site called um, Subtle Energy Principles for in Sacred Death Care, which talks about how I work with my energy body when I'm dealing with grief and loss and how I attune to and um, keep myself safe and healthy and deal with the emotions of it all. Emotions are just the energy because it's a whole different language. So if you're drawn to those things and if your nature is sensitivity, then it's actually a superpower for this work. You know, there are other things you can't do. I can't do because I'm too sensitive, but this requires sensitivity yeah. and intuition and availability. So, so beautiful. Thank goodness for you. Like, well, thank you for the opportunity to share this. Oh, but shining this light on such a, a, a topic that people are so fearful of. Um, even just chatting to you has, oh, it's just opened me up more. And that was just, you know, 50 minutes. I'm like, yeah, people, they don't need to, but I would encourage them to connect with, with you and with these resources and find another way of, you know, leaning into this and, I also love that you said, because I've been talking about this today, about being the change that you want to see in the world. Often we get very frustrated and we, and I talk about authenticity a lot, but I had a question from one of my um, coaches today and she said, like, like, who are you? Like, I know who Jill Ritchie the coach is, but who are, who's Jill Ritchie? And I was like, um, and I thought, oh, oh. And it it threw me and actually, and I sat with it and I thought, you know, sometimes I feel like I may be still dancing in old energies that because I I fully believe in the spirit, like the spirituality side, the the real, um, the somatic work, the, the really going into the ancestral work. Yeah, I never fully talk about it because I'm like, oh, so am I really? am I really being my most authentic self? Or is there still a little bit of fear that, like what you said, like that's maybe holding me back from fully being? Because I'm saying I want this change in the world. I want people to see this. And I'm doing elements of it. Like I'm creating this podcast. I'm creating this series. I'm talking about it. I speak from, I speak truth. I speak from the heart. But I need to be the change that I want to see in the world, you know? Um, And I love, just listening to you it's just perfect as always when we need to hear something we hear it and what you just said there about uh, just all I got was you know you were you were being the change that you wanted to see in the world and thank goodness for you showing up thank you I appreciate hearing that and I'm glad it's been helpful thank you so much for this gorgeous conversation Sarah you're very welcome Jill thanks for making a space to have these conversations they're very important 